beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. This past summer, I had the privilege of attending a family reunion in B.C. The restrictions were lifted enough to the point we could travel to a beautiful lake and spend a week together with um, my family. I'm sure many of you have had family reunions before. Perhaps you grew up with many siblings in your family, but over the years you, you move to different locations and you spend so much time apart. And every so often you tell each other, you know what, we should get together again, have a reunion. And those moments of reunion with close family members you haven't seen for a long time, they can be so wonderful. It's refreshing to see people you love after having been apart for so long. Well, the church is the household of God. We who believe in Christ belong to the family of faith. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And sadly, we've been apart for quite some time. Also, now as we enter into New Year, the year of our Lord, 2021. But we pray, we continue to pray that we would be able to meet again. Meet again soon. And in full, it can be easy to grow weary in this, to keep praying when it's been so long, but we need to persevere. See, the Apostle Paul, he experienced something of this. He wanted so badly to see the church at Rome. He wanted to be refreshed in the presence of his brothers and sisters in Christ in that place. And so he called them, as we can see in our text, he called them to pray, to pray that they could meet together and enjoy each other's fellowship soon. So I preach you God's word from Romans 15 under the following theme and points. Join together in prayer that God's people may be reunited and refreshed. We have three points along with this theme. First of all, we'll look at the context. Second of all, the call. And thirdly, the comfort. So our text this morning is from Romans 15. Now, there, there doesn't seem to be much here at first glance. There's actually a lot to unpack in these verses. However, in order to benefit the most from this text, we need to see the big picture what's going on here. So we're going to spend some time, especially in this first point, looking at the the large context of this text. See, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, he wrote the book of Romans near the end of his third missionary journey. Paul had traveled throughout modern-day Turkey and Greece, and he preached the gospel as he went. He spent considerable time in some of the places he visited. And he describes his work in Romans 15, verse 16, in this way, I was made a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Notice he uses those interesting words, He describes his preaching of the gospel as priestly work. Why is that? Well, as the gospel goes out, people are called to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. 
And when they do, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the blood of Christ is applied to them by the Holy Spirit for their salvation. And that's similar to the Old Testament uh, work of the priests. The, the forgiveness of sins was administered through the blood of the sacrifices when they were received in faith. The sacrifices offered up by the priests which pointed ahead to Christ. Of course, in the New Testament age, Christ came to offer the one great sacrifice that takes away the sin of the world. And the benefits of that sacrifice, including the forgiveness of sins, it is given through the preaching of the gospel. And that's one big reason why the preaching of the gospel is so important. It's priestly work. The forgiveness of sins administered through the preaching. Also here today, also as you're listening to this message. As Paul and Barnabas proclaimed in Acts 13, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Blood of Christ is powerful, effective for the forgiveness of our sins received by faith. Doesn't matter who you are. If you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Paul says that he performed this priestly service so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so here we see the work of the gospel. The work of Christ can be applied to anyone from any nation. And so the Apostle Paul, he traveled from Jerusalem to to many parts of the Roman Empire. Didn't matter which country, he wanted to go there. Seeking to bring the Gentiles into the people of God. However, there is one area to which Paul had not yet gone. He had not yet gone to the city of Rome, but he wanted to. In fact, he longed to see Rome, to see the church there. You can see this throughout the New Testament. We read from Romans 1 there, Paul writes, God is my witness that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, By God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you, for I long to see you. And then again in Romans 15, which we read, I have longed for many years to come to you. We read also in Acts 19, verse 21, after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, Jerusalem, I must also see Rome. Why did he want to see them so badly? Well, he says in Romans 1, he wanted to gain a harvest of believers also in Rome, as he had in other parts of the empire. And he says in Romans 1, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And then he simply adds in Romans 15, he just wants to enjoy their company for a while. It's not just about his mission work. 
but he simply loved the believers there. Some of them he knew quite well, others not. But he loved the church in Rome, even though he had never met any of the, many of them. didn't matter because they were all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, part of the household of God. And he says in our text, he wants to come with them, to them with joy and be refreshed in their company. And this is the beautiful character of the church and of the communion of saints. Being together as a people of God, it brings delight. It can be refreshed by each other's presence. Mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And that's what makes this time so difficult as well. We've not been together in full for so long. You know, every so often in the last few months when I've been out and about, maybe doing some shopping, I've come across different people from the churches here in Winnipeg, also some of you. And it's refreshing to see other believers again, even for a little bit. It's delightful to get another taste of the fellowship we enjoy as Christians. This is something we hope for and long for, just as Paul longed to see the believers in Rome. Now, at this point, we might wonder, well, if the Apostle Paul wanted to go to Rome so badly, why didn't he just go there? Well, there were some reasons for that. Well, the Church of Rome was founded by others already, and in Romans 15, Paul says he was compelled to work in places where no one else already had. He felt that this was part of Christ's calling to him as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so he focused on preaching the gospel, as he says, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, which is in Italy. But by God's grace, that work was now over. He had no more places that he had to go to preach the gospel where no one else had. So the way was now open for him to do what he wanted to do for many years, go to Rome. And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter at the end of his third missionary journey. Most likely he was in Corinth. And so as he looked ahead to the future, his third missionary journey was largely complete, and he eagerly wrote to the church in Rome, telling them of his intentions to come to them soon. So that's the context of our passage. Now we come to our second point, which is the call. Now you can imagine the joy both Paul and the church at Rome felt at the prospect of finally being together. And it appeared that it might happen soon. However, Paul could not go straight from Corinth to Rome. There was one last thing he needed to do. During his third missionary journey, the Apostle Paul not only preached the gospel, but he also carefully collected money from all the churches to help the church in Jerusalem. Now, I preached about this collection at at the beginning of December when I preached from 2 Corinthians 8. The church in Jerusalem was by far the largest church of that time. And many Jews there had come to believe in Jesus Christ, but that church 
was also very needy. A famine had likely caused much poverty in that area, also among the Christians. So Paul took pains on his third missionary journey to collect money from the Gentile churches for their needy brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And at the end of his third missionary journey, probably in Corinth, he felt he must deliver this collection money at all costs. Many people in Jerusalem needed this gift to make ends meet. Paul had gathered large sums of money from some of the churches. Paul would sin if he he played fast and loose with this money and just decided to go to Rome first. Furthermore, he wanted to bring this gift because it showed the beautiful unity of the church and, and the fruit of the gospel among those who believe. He wanted to impress this upon the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. However, this also came with a major dilemma. Not only would going to Jerusalem delay Paul from visiting Rome, it also endangered him from going at all. And that's because there were many Jews in Jerusalem who had rejected Christ and were hostile to Christians. And these Jews were especially angry at Paul, a former Pharisee, now turned apostle, who was spreading the gospel far and wide. And they believed that Paul, by his ministry, was destroying their religion and even their race. And so many of the Jews came up with a plot against Paul. They wanted to stop his ministry and to even kill him. And Paul faced things like this throughout his journeys, but Jerusalem held a particular danger. And so in our text, Paul urges the believers in Rome to join him in praying to God. He calls them to strive together with him in prayer. And what are they to pray so earnestly about? He says in our text, Pray that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem, the collection he's bringing, may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. See, if the collection for the church in Jerusalem is quickly accepted, the sooner Paul can go to Rome. And if the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem don't give him trouble, his trip to Rome won't be endangered. And you can imagine the church at Rome receiving this letter. They've heard much about Paul. Some of them knew Paul very well, having worked with him. And although Scripture doesn't explicitly tell us their reaction, it's, it's a reasonable assumption that they did this very thing Paul called them to do. To to join Paul in striving in prayer to God. Well, there's a certain difficulty that that comes with prayer. It takes concentration. It takes energy. It takes perseverance. As Paul calls them to strive with him in prayer to God, one might be reminded of 
the patriarch Jacob in the book of Genesis. Before he met Esau, after his time with Laban, Jacob was afraid. He was scared that Esau would still be angry with him, that Esau would attack him and kill him and his family. And so right before the encounter with Esau, Genesis 32 says that Jacob spent all night wrestling with a man, striving with him. And Jacob would not let the man go until he blessed him. And Genesis 32 makes clear that Jacob was wrestling with God. Now, how that that works, we don't fully understand, of course. But the point is that Jacob wrestled with God, seeking a blessing. And this is a similar concept to what Paul is telling the Roman believers when he tells them to strive in prayer. The effort involved. Similar language is used in Colossians 4 of Epiphras. There the Holy Spirit says through Paul, Epiphras, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling or wrestling, as we could translate it, in your prayers, or on your behalf, in his prayers. Struggling in his prayers. This is what Paul encouraged the Roman church to do. Now, we might wonder why God would have us do this. Why does prayer sometimes need to be this striving, this this struggle, as, as it were? Why would God have us wrestle in prayer in this way? Was he trying to make us discouraged? Does he sometimes just outright outright ignore our prayers? We might wonder, doesn't he realize I'm going through this trial and this pain? I'm sure many of you have gone through these sorts of things when it comes to prayer. A trial comes into your life and it takes so much prayer. And maybe you pray for something every day or have already prayed for something for many years. That can be so tiring. It's easy to grow weary. Why does God sometimes do this? Well, we don't know all of his reasons, of course. He is God and we are not. He has reasons we probably will never know. But one thing is sure that God often does this to draw us closer to himself. Through this striving in prayer, we learn more and more that our blessing comes from him. Think of the patriarch Jacob again. For so many years, he relied on himself. He practiced cunning. He deceived others for his own gain, even his own father. But the Lord used this encounter with Esau to break Jacob of his self-reliance. Jacob knew that his own strength was no match for Esau. So he had to rely on God He wrestled at this time, seeking the Lord's blessing. We should ask ourselves, are we striving in prayer to God? Are you striving in prayer for the well-being of the church? Striving in prayer for individual members of the church who need special care? Striving in prayer for the spiritual well-being of family members and friends? Striving in prayer for your own spiritual well-being. Striving in prayer for the missionaries and all the preachers of the gospel, also so that God's kingdom might come and that many people might come into God's kingdom. 
As that call goes to you, remember also what God has promised in Christ. He's promised that we can come to Him through Jesus Christ. He has promised that He hears our prayers through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That brings us to our last point. That is the comfort. Now, I've titled this third point, The Comfort. And that might sound like everything was smooth sailing for Paul. The Lord heard his prayer just as he wanted in the prayers of the Roman church. That Paul could quickly drop off the money in Jerusalem and then beeline it for Rome. However, there were some major problems. Because of the plots of the Jews in the region of Corinth, where Paul probably wrote this letter, Paul was forced to take a much longer way back to Jerusalem, and that delayed his trip to Rome uh, already then. And along the way, people urged Paul not to keep going to Jerusalem. They knew the danger he faced there. In fact, in Acts 21, a prophet named Agabus prophesied that the Jews in Jerusalem would indeed imprison Paul. But Paul kept going, insisting that he needed to go on. And when he came to Jerusalem, the unbelieving Jews did, in fact, capture him, seizing him in the temple. And with that, it seemed like all of Paul's longings to go to Rome would go unfulfilled. And that the hope of the Roman Christians to see Paul were now dashed. It was a difficult act of God's providence for them. For what did Paul ask them to pray in our text? Strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, also that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. How many prayers were were not prayed by the saints for Paul to be kept safe in Jerusalem? What happened? The exact opposite happened of what they longed for and prayed for. And that can be so hard. Maybe you've had someone like that before where you, as it were, wrestled in prayer to God about something only to get the very opposite of what you asked for. Well, that's pain. That, that can be crushing almost. And it can potentially damage our faith or trust in God. You might wonder, I've prayed, I've prayed for something so much and then God gives me the very opposite and it's painful. Why did that happen? It might discourage you from praying further. Why is he answering my prayers for godly things with such an emphatic no? Those are indeed hard things to go through. However, it's good also to look further ahead in the story of Paul and the Church of Rome. All hope was not yet lost. Yes, Paul was captured by the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem, but God was not yet finished working. For what happened after Paul was captured? Well, the Jews were about to kill Paul. But a Roman official ordered soldiers to take Paul into custody. And a short time later, the the Jews plotted to kill Paul again, but it failed. At this point, Paul was sent to the Roman governor Felix for trial. He was put on, he made his defense before Felix, and Felix did not hand him over to the Jews. However, Felix wanted to do a favor to the Jews, so he left Paul in prison for two whole years. Two whole years. And after that long, you wonder if anyone was still praying that Paul would make it to Rome. 
Think how long that is. Paul left in prison two whole years. But Governor Felix was eventually succeeded by a man named Festus. This gained Paul another trial. And at this trial, Paul then appealed to Caesar. Now this, Festus conferred with his council and he said, to, to Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. And Caesar, being the Roman Empire, lived in Rome, the very place Paul hoped to go. So after a short while, Paul boarded a ship and was transported there. Finally, finally, Paul's longing to go to Rome would be fulfilled. Finally, finally, the church's desire to see Paul would now come about. It was after so many years, but this was the very thing Paul urged them to pray for in our text. God made them wait so long. He made them wrestle in prayer for so long, but finally he granted them this request. And at the end of the book of Acts, we read, And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, they came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. And on seeing them, Paul thanked God, and he took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. What a reunion it must have been. All this praying, all that waiting, finally it happened. Paul was most certainly refreshed in their presence and he had hoped to be. The very last words of the book of Acts say this, Paul lived in Rome two whole years, same time he was in prison. Two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That's astonishing. Paul urged the Roman church to pray that he would be delivered from the Jews, the unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem. And in one real sense, he wasn't. It seemed like an opposite answer to prayer. But through this long, difficult process, he could come to Rome and then he could see anyone he wished for two whole years. Probably far beyond anything Paul imagined when he asked the Roman church to pray in our text. And this shows the power and the grace of God also in fulfilling our prayers. God made this all possible. And, and through all the longing, the pain, and the wrestling, and the, and the prayer, the Lord was gracious. What at first appeared to be an emphatic no turned out to be an emphatic yes. May that encourage you also. To have a prayer answered in an opposite way to what you have hoped can be so discouraging and can make you wonder if God has heard you at all. Don't lose heart. Remember the words of Ephesians 3, God is able to do far more than all that we ask or even imagine. Now, of course, be clear on what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all of your prayers will be answered in the way that you like. I'm not saying there will never be disappointment. I'm not saying that if you just pray harder and pray more, you'll get whatever you want. I'm not encouraging you to pray in a frenzied fashion. 
Elijah prayed seven times for rain, but that doesn't mean he prayed like the prophets of Baal, out of control. No. But God's word here is encouraging us not to lose heart, not to give up. Not to lose heart when our prayers seem to go unanswered. We don't know what sorts of things God will eventually bring about through them. I can't help but think also the situation we face as church right now. Been separated for so long, many prayers have gone up to God and still we wait. But do not lose heart. Join together in striving in prayer to God. Maybe we'll get to meet in full again very soon. Never doubt God's power to make that happen. Maybe it will take some time. Keep praying. When that does happen, by the grace of God, there will be a happy reunion. Think again of Paul finally coming to Rome. What joy they must have felt. And may we experience that joy soon as well. Paul ends our text with a blessing. May the God of peace be with you all. And Paul, of course, would not see the Roman Christians for quite some time. He would not be with them. The God of peace would be with them. He would be with his church in Rome. He would keep them in his care, even if Paul was not among them. We still have the same God today. May the God of peace be with us too. He is our God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and so He has promised to always be with us. He will be with us through His Holy Spirit. So let us take good courage. Let's pray to our Father in heaven. Let us wait for Him. Amen.